Say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke my flesh. I will not let it get in the way of you, God. I will not let my opinions, I will not let my flesh, I will not let my thoughts or any selfish ambitions get in the way of you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's some people that might be here or even listening that were offended by that, as if it was something directed to you when it wasn't. It wasn't directed at anybody here, but it actually has exactly... 100% to do with what we're talking about today in relation to the past two Sundays, the teaching that we've been doing in Romans. And one of the things that keeps coming up uh, that we've been talking about for about two weeks now, now there's there's the in-depth knowledge, there's the in-depth revelations, there's the in-depth study that we've been doing in Romans, but some of the bigger themes that we've been seeing is it's the faith in Christ and what he did that actually sets us free from the slavery of sin that we're born into, Right? Then he's talking about the new life, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Then we've talked about a few different things in detail about some of those those markings and even the the practical how to do that. How do we get past? And we taught on a little bit. I'm going to go back and read it some, um, just a little bit before we go into what we need to, but how to really put to death the flesh. And the word says in in, uh, Romans, I I think it's in A, but I, I just remember it. It says that we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Not our spirit. This is a capital S. This is the Holy Spirit. When we understand that it's this submission to Him, the allowance to Him, and when we think about the promises Jesus made about the Holy Spirit coming and why we understand that we in ourselves are of sin nature. This sin nature understood simply and on surface level we call flesh. And what the Lord really wanted me, there were two words he really popped into my mind last night. Because I've been reading all week and I'm just like, I'm getting a lot of good stuff. I'm like, Lord, what, how do you want to get towards the end of this teaching? How do you want to connect these? And these two words popped up. And it was flesh and weirdly the word consider. And those two words really popped that. I said, okay, I know, where to, I, I know where the Lord's wanting me to start. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, on, either on your phone, tablet, real Bible, uh, whatever, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 starting off. Um, and, of course, we're still in Romans. Uh, we are, I mean, I'm going to bounce out. I've got a few verses here. Uh, I'm going to bounce out. They go hand in hand with this. Um, but we'll get there in a second. But one of the things that I feel like the Lord's really wanting to teach us is, because we all, anybody who's been serving God for any number of years, even in any number of months, we have come across destruction of the flesh, crucifying your flesh every day. We've heard Paul talk about it. We've read it in the Bible. But what does that really mean? Does that mean just putting you know, selfish desires aside? Yes. But it also comes into this deep understanding of what your flesh actually is and why sometimes the enemy uses that to bring doubt to you. He'll use it to bring confusion to you, to even confuse your prayers, your reading time, and even your understanding of of past revelation of Scripture. But when we understand it, it's actually a relief, but it's actually a call to arms at the same time. It's actually a call to, okay, maybe it's not really so much me as it is so much this is how this flesh was made versus... Is it all just me? Am I a horrible person? Is it just my heart? Am I angry? Am I just mad? Am I just self-centered? Am I just worried about me? You know, when I've been saying, Lord, I want to serve you, but I'm so worried about me. And here comes Satan putting every little ounce of lying and doubt he can into you. And what does he do? He sows confusion 
about your knowledge and foundation and who Jesus is and who you are in the Lord. And there are some people the Lord is telling me even right now that have had the same question for God and about the Word for years and years and years and years and years, and you've yet to be able to get those answered, even though the Lord says, I withhold no good thing from you. God's revelation is a good thing. So if He's not withholding it, we're not listening right. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm a football field across from somebody, and I'm like, hey, what's two plus two? And then I put on ear protection and think, oh, I can hear him in this. And I'm looking at him. I'm, I, I don't understand. Why aren't you telling me the answer? I'm screaming, but I've, I've blocked my ears. And it's not even that you're intentionally doing it. Now, it sounds intentional with that demonstration. But what it does is it, we're listening wrong. We're thinking, oh, if I put this on, all the outside sound will be turned off and I can hear them clearly. And actually, you're cutting off all the voices. But that's what confusion does. It's so many different thoughts and voices all at the same time that are conflicting. It makes us stop listening. And what it is is we come to the battlefield of what you know the word actually calls the mind. And it seems here in the past year or so, uh, through a lot of different ministries and a lot of different ministers, even authors, the Lord has been bringing up the mind because there's too, there's too many people who do not understand it. There's too many people who think the mind is Satan's when it's not. The mind is where our spirit and our flesh connect. And that's why it's the battlefield. Uh, it's not so much the heart, which really in turn is, is, is our spirit. As much as it is our flesh, they want to fight in the, in the mind because that's where they both come from. Our praises, the lifting of my hands, the surrender, the prayers to God all come from my mouth as they come into my brain. Either A, by the Holy Spirit, B, by the flesh, or C, even from the enemy. And I'm not talking about all prayer stuff. I'm talking about things we say. So my, my hands lifted up and surrendered during worship is my that's my flesh body, my physical being surrendering to God. But it's the same brain that tells me to sin. It's the same brain that makes me angry when I feel offended. And instead of realizing I'm, I'm not allowed to be offended, it is not my place to be offended. It's not my right to be offended in Christ. I sin towards somebody, and I get angry. So this battlefield of the mind comes to place, and it's this war. And uh, So I'm going to go back where we were a little bit last week in uh, Romans chapter 7. I'm going to start there, and then I'm going to go actually go back. Um, I'm actually going to go straight back to um, Romans 12. So I'm going to go ahead and start here. We're in uh, Romans chapter 7 starting off. Since I'm speaking to those un who understand the law, brothers, you are unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives. For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she gives herself to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers, you are also put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah, so that you may belong to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law, and every part of us and bore fruit to death. But now every, uh, every, sorry, but now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Because we know the other scripture, you know, for the letter of the law brings... Death and the Spirit brings life. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, 
produced in me coveting of every kind. Let's go back a second. He said, sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, producing in me coveting of every kind. So is sin alive? How can sin grasp an opportunity? Is sin not an action or an action that we choose to not do godly actions? Is it not missing God? The Word says that anything not produced in faith, anything done not in faith is sin. That's the most simple understanding of it, that the Bible, one of the most simple understandings of sin in the Word. Anything not done in faith is sin. It's very hard for me to cuss somebody out in faith, isn't it? Very hard for me to get angry and sin, scream at somebody, call them out of their name, be dishonorable, disrespectful. You see what I'm saying? In faith, towards God, towards Jesus and this word. So how does sin seize an opportunity? Think about that for a second. Sin is not alive, and it's in and of itself. Sin was actually defeated on the cross, was it not? Did, it not, did not Christ become all sin? And did Christ not actually go to hell first? But see, when Jesus was resurrected, he, did, he was not resurrected full of sin. He was resurrected as Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, as he was when he died on the cross. So what does that mean? That means he became all sin and he left it in hell when he went there to get the keys, the authority even over hell. So again, I'm going to ask you, because the Holy Spirit should be talking to a lot of you right now. How is sin alive? How does sin seize an opportunity to produce what the law, which is holy, says do not covet? How does sin seize an opportunity if it's not alive? It's through us, right? The sin nature. Where does it come from? Our flesh living. Sin living in us. Sin cannot live in and of itself. It has to have a host. Sadly, that's what our bodies want. First and foremost is to sin. Our bodies are the ones that seize. Our flesh, our, our slaves to sin flesh are what seizes the opportunity, even without the use of the mind. Why is it so natural? Uh, Brad Stein's a Christian comedian. He said this one time. He said to all you parents out there, and he's actually really funny, but he always has the teaching mixed in with his, his little, um, little stand-up. He said, he said, all you parents out there, he said, I, he said, I've got a few myself. He said, you know, it's amazing that we don't have to teach kids to cuss. We have to teach them not to. He said, we don't have to teach kids not to steal or to steal. We have to teach them not to. He said, why is it so natural? He goes, and naturally, they'll feel bad for their sin even before they know what it is. He said, because we have the inherited godly characteristics because we were made in his image. Now, those things can be suppressed. Now, Brad Stone wasn't saying this, but I am can be suppressed, but it, it, it all comes back to our nature, our sinful nature, because we're all born into sin. We've heard that, but Romans teaches us that we're born into slavery of sin. What does slavery mean? Bound. You don't have a say-so. Slavery is used multiple times in Romans regarding sin and what we're born into specifically. It doesn't say that we're more partial to sin. It doesn't say that we're more eagerly to sin, even though those are givens. It says we are born slaves to sin whether you want to be or not. Slaves do not have a say-so in anything they want. They have to listen to their master or be beat to death and or killed. That is the life of a slave. You have no freedom. Zero. We're born into zero freedom. We are born slaves to sin, and sin can have its way in us 
Period. This sounds depressing, doesn't it? It sounds depressing. So I'm going to keep reading here in 7. Just at the top here. Though, uh, that our old self was crucified on him. In or Oh, sorry. That's 6. My bad. <laughs> Back over here to the covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Now, is he saying that because God made the law, that instantly I died? No, what he's saying is because of our fall, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, this being born into sin, he's saying the second I knew good, you know, better from good and evil, I died. You know who the first people were to do that? Adam and Eve. What tree did they eat of that God told them not to? The knowledge of good and evil. They were not supposed to know evil. They weren't supposed, we weren't made to know evil. And so once they become, they understood and ate of it, they understood, they knew. The word talks constantly in the Old and New Testament about eating, fruit, consumption, and how that spiritually com completely equals to what we are. I mean, we've heard the, even the silly saying, you are what you eat, right? Well, that, that actually has biblical backup. Once I was alive apart, apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, sin sprang to life and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin seizing, yet again, I'm saying this again, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. So what's the problem here? Again, he says it twice in just a few sentences. He said, sin seizing an opportunity through me deceived me and through it killed me. The sin in us, our flesh nature, looks for an opportunity to be rebellious towards God. It looks for it. And here's the problem. When I'm speaking to you and you're thinking about your relationship to God, you're thinking of your walk with Christ, you're thinking of your royalty, you're thinking of being seated in heavenly places, there are two of you. I can prove it. It's in the Bible. The things we're born in is the things we have to submit unto God. And how do you submit these thoughts unto the Lord? You know, it says to take a captive every thought and submit it. How? There's only one way. We went over it last week through the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to keep going. Therefore, did what is did what is good cause my death? Did God cause the death? No. When people say, well, how can a good God send people to hell? This is your answer. Therefore, did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. You ever heard of the, the you ever heard of the saying, flesh cannot be satisfied? Sin can't be satisfied. The word even says sin has its pleasure for a season. It can't be satisfied because it's self-destructive. Our flesh is self-destructive. When you hear the word gluttony, we have a, a worldly historic answer for what gluttony is. The Bible's is different. It's a constant consumption of something, whether it be material, whether it be food, whether it be drink, whether it be drug, whether even it be green. Consumption to fill something in you that you feel is empty. But it's empty because we're born into the slavery of sin, but made in God's image. We're made to be His, whether you believe in Him or not. 
And so when we think about this, it, it, it's the sin. It might become sinful beyond measure. It wants to destruct. It want, the wages of sin is death, is it not? But it wants to kill itself constantly. Some people ask all the time, how in the world could somebody want to kill themselves? Well, until you've been there, which I have, you start to understand the flesh wants you dead. Because the flesh and sin and Satan go hand in hand in hand. They're best buddies. Doing ring around the posies all day long. Because they hate everybody. They hate you. Flesh hates itself. The wages of sin is death and flesh is sin. The flesh wants sin. The flesh wants to consume sin. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am made out of flesh. So this is what the Lord wants to be asking you guys right now. Is there something in your life, whether it be mental, physical, any kind of thing that you've repented for and it, you've even kind of pushed back a little. But it's still sometimes because so overwhelming to you. Whether it be wrath, anger, it could be anything. You know what it is. It's not uh, the Lord's telling you right now. And we ask ourselves all the time, Lord, you've delivered me from so much. You've taken so much from me. That was not of you. And Lord, I thank you for that. But why is it this one thing is still here? And what does Satan do? What does he do? You're not saved. You think you're delivered? You stop that on your own. You think you've changed? You didn't really repent. You didn't mean that. You think you're a Christian? You think God hears your prayers? Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Do you think God hears you when you can't get past this? When you can't get past this control, when you can't get past consistency, when you can't get past peace, when you can't get past being overwhelmed and wanting to blame everyone around you, when you can't get past going through that one thing that brings you temporary comfort for a small season and then it actually brings death on you. When you can't get past it and Satan says, see, you are not saved. The accuser comes to you and beats you down and tells you you are not God. When God said, this is why I sent my son, they were destroyed by their lack of knowledge. Why do you think he has people like me up here? Why do you think he has you in your closets? Why do you think he has you up in places preaching and teaching to people? Because that's what builds our faith. But we, our faith can't be built on good feelings. It has to be built on truth because Jesus said, you will know the truth and what will set you free. The truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Who sets you free? Jesus. Who is the word made flesh? Jesus. So what is this? Jesus, it does not make worldly logical sense, but God said, I'll make foolishness of that. But to the spiritual, it will make sense. This sets you free, because as I'm reading this, people are getting more and more beat up a little bit. Or they're telling themselves, well, my problem, I'm doing enough good. I'm doing enough good. Then you have limited your surrender to him. You've told God, I've given you enough, Ananias. Holding some of yourself back. Listen. There are times where you have got to stop making excuses for the same sin over and over and over. But because the sin doesn't look like drinking or heroin or these major things that will kill you quickly, you make excuses. And you say, God, I've given you enough. And God killed people for that in Acts. And in nice. God, they, they told God, I will surrender and give you my all. I'm going to keep this for myself secretly. And they were called out. Peter said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. 
How have you made this connection to yourself to say, I don't know where this is coming from. I'm just trusting him right now. I've given you enough, God. But this part, I've done enough. Yeah, there's scripture about it, but I've done enough. I'm dealing with all this other stuff. And you're wondering why this one thing keeps coming to your mind as if it's not God. But you become comfortable in what gives you comfort other than God. But there's a reason it keeps coming back up. There's a reason the sin has to stay because you are not satisfied. Matthew, I think, chapter 16 says, those who hunger and thirst shall be satisfied. You're not satisfied because you're not hungry, nor are you thirsty for what will satisfy you. There's nothing this world can give you. Nothing. There's nothing sin has ever given any of you. And the biggest problem we face in the church is when sin is talked about, we think of the drunkards and the witchcraft and these obvious things. But did you know manipulation is just as much witchcraft as you drawing a pentagram in goat's blood and trying to summon Satan? It's as much a sin to God. It is the same spirit to him because you're trying to control something outside of God. You're trying to change someone's mind to make them think your will. But for some of you, you've made excuses. And for some, the enemies just beat you up because you refuse to make excuses for yourself. There's a two-way street. They're both, they're both condemning. So let the Lord set you free here. Because Jesus, is he not the word? So let's listen. For now we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. You have been sold into sin's power when you were born. He said, I am flesh. Guess what? Until you are dead, you are in your flesh. So what do we do? Let's keep paying attention. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do. But I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law. That's good. Do you understand that? It sounds confusing, so let me back it up a little bit. He said, so now I know I'm going to, oh, sorry, me go up. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law. That's good. He's saying, even if I'm in this sin and I keep doing it, but I don't want to do it, I agree with holiness. I agree with God. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me, our sinful nature. The concordance actually backs that up. It says sin living in me. I'm like, Lord, what does that mean? I looked it up. It means our sinful nature. We're naturally sinful. You were born that way. If you're not struggling in your flesh, you're probably not seeking God. If you're not having battles, you're probably not seeking God. If you're not crying through stuff and praying through stuff and seeking God on a specific subject or multiple, you're probably not seeking him at all. If Satan's not beating you up, you're probably content, but not in God. You're probably complacent. I do enough. Who are you? For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. I'm going to go back. Listen to this. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. Y'all hear that? What's the Lord telling you right now? Because there's something that lives in you that's not your flesh. For the desire to do what is good with me. Is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Why? You're a slave. You don't have a choice. For I do 
not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. He almost sounds like he's just being repetitive at this point. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. But it is the sin that lives in me. He said it again. I'm not rereading what I just read. He says it twice in a row because he's trying to say something to you. So I discover this. This principle, sorry. I'm trying to see through tears here. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. Inner self means your spirit. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. He has separated himself in five sentences into two people. For when we are born into sin, we are dead in sin. But when we have come to Christ, we are now what was dead is now alive. And we are two different things. We are the old dead man who we live in, but they're dead. But we are now under his blood. We now follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We now let the Holy Spirit guide us in everything to do the will of the Father as we pray to the Father who cares and loves for us. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself and my slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. Because the law of sin was still written. We just decided to put it on ourselves by disobeying, disobeying God, period. But what he's saying, what a wretched man I am. And he's saying, I have come to the understanding of what I am naturally capable of without anybody's help. Sin in and of itself, through you, will try to do greater and greater and greater. Who here has been delivered from any kind of sin? Started off small, right? And then it grew and grew and grew and grew. It's a snowball effect going down a mountain. Then it becomes this massive, huge ball. It's even harder to stop. And then Jesus comes down, and you accept him, and goes, Boop, and it, dis it disappears. But see, sin is never satisfied with itself. It's self-destructive. What happens to a snowball that builds up and builds up and builds up? It will eventually crash into something. And no matter how big it is, it falls apart. Sin feeds itself more sin, and it needs more. You've seen people who, and we've even heard stories online. We've heard stories in the Bible. We've heard stories on TV. We've had, I've heard personal stories about people's addiction to porn, specifically, or people's addiction to lustful acts, or uh, whether it be uh, being promiscuous, whether it be seeking... Sexual immorality in any shape, form, or fashion. And it always starts off simple. Well, our natural attractions, right? Does it not? It's God's intention for me to be attracted to a woman, not to lust. Does that make sense? But it builds up and it builds up so much so that sometimes it gets to a point that it's so big nothing's moving and it makes you numb. And now what you have felt and you have seen a sin before, now you don't feel anything towards it, so you continue in it. And you have limited yourself and you have limited surrender to God. That is not following the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't call him your Lord if you won't surrender at all. He won't. That's, that's not acceptable to him. I can't say to my wife, I'm going to marry you. And then when I'm making my vow, I say, I will, you know, I will be faithful to you. I make a vow before God, I'll be faithful to you, except for Tuesdays, I'll sleep with who I want. That's what you're saying to God. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. 
There's a reason God loves marriage and he talks about it so much. Who do you think you are telling God you can cheat? You don't get to pick and choose and say, oh, I'm a Christian when I need to pray. I'm a Christian on Sundays. I'm a Christian and follow the Lord sometimes when, uh, actually, I'm going to get there in a second. I want to continue, sorry. I'm going to reread what I just did at the end. So then my mind and, I'm my, and myself am a slave to the law of God. But with my flesh to the law of sin. So now he said he's two people. He said it's the sin nature in me. He said it's not me who's sinning anymore. Because I've been made alive in Christ. That sounds like a contradiction. He said it's not me. It sounds like Paul of all people. Paul of all people is saying. He's not, it's not him making an excuse for his sins. He's saying I don't do what I want to do. And he said because it's not me doing it. It's the sin nature in me. He's saying sin is alive in our flesh. So what do we do? Paul's like, I'm a wretched man. What do we do? He's explaining where his heart was before he gives the answer. Because if you hear, I have raised your hand. If you raise your hand to the question I'm about to ask, then you'll understand. Who here has had to fight sin in their lives to make sure you are obedient to the Lord? If you're not raising your hand, I can promise you, you're about to. If you follow him in any shape, form, or fashion. And even if you didn't raise your hand, but you should, like you did in your mind or whatever, if you're just listening, that's fine. Anybody listening on here too, it's the same thing. Paul's he's saying to us, I know what you're going through. You want to please God, but you keep sitting. You want to do what God says, but you can't seem to get out of this. And it's where one of the most, because right now when I'm reading this, and I'm reading it with the Lord, I'm seeing myself like in a mirror. And, I'm, I, and I'm, I'm feeling this build up and this heaviness come on me. And then I read this next thing and I just break down bawling. And he said, therefore, this is the next thing he says. No condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Now it doesn't matter. Now it doesn't make Now it does make sense that we're two separate things. Now it makes sense. I'm going to read Galatians 2.20 real quick. I'm just going to hop over. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So now what he's saying is this. I have an answer for you. He's saying until we understand this, until we receive this knowledge from the word of God and about Jesus, you will continue even wanting to please God. He said right here, I just read it to you. I keep sinning, but I agree with this. But because it's not what I want to do, I don't want to sin, but I keep doing it. I'm actually in agreement with him. But I want to go back and read right before eight again. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind... Did you hear me? With my mind and myself, am a slave to the law of God. How many people here think that your mind is Satan's playground? How many people here think your mind is something Satan can do whatever he wants, whenever he feels like it? Give no place to the devil. He is not God. He can't do anything that God has not allowed him to do. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He can't read your minds. He's observant. There's a reason the Bible says give no place to the devil. Why? You're giving him ammo. People don't understand that. Well, Satan, he knows my mind. He knows how to attack me because you are not defended there. It's that one thing. And, it's, and Satan wants to say it's because you won't surrender it. 
Sometimes it is something of a surrender that you're numb to. Sometimes he just wants to tell you that so you give up. But he says right here, my mind, I must, my, uh, with my mind, I myself, talking about his spirit, his heart, am a slave to the law of God. Why? Is he a slave to the law of God? Because that is what he wants. That's what his heart, that's what his spirit wants, is to please God, because we call him Abba Father, right? And then right after this, therefore no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. For those in Christ Jesus. For those in Christ Jesus. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, now he's given us an answer to an entire, an entire chapter in, a, in two sentences. Yes, no, three sentences, sorry. In three sentences, he gives you an entire chapter's worth of answers in three sentences. This one revelation. God saw this struggle. God knew the struggle. He wrote the law. The law wasn't meant to ease and condemn. It was made as a punishment. The Bible says so in Galatians 3, I believe. But what we're starting to see now is how quick the answer goes always back to who? Jesus. Every time. Because when we start to understand that the cross was so much more than just the death on the cross, that was just the first part. The death on the cross actually means nothing without the resurrection. Did you know that? The word says so. Go read the Old Testament. It, the prophecy would not have been fulfilled. What God had said would happen would not have been fulfilled otherwise. The power of God would have not have been made whole and him be alive to this day. He's alive on the right hand of the Father. So the sin that we keep trying to deal with and making excuses for. Let me ask you this. What in your life do you do that you know does not glorify God? That you are in terrible, terrible, terrible fear to give up. Think about it for a second. You don't have to say anything. I'll let you just think about it. And my question to you is why are you afraid to give it up? I know the answer. For sin has its pleasure for a season. Pleasure is a fake, demonic excuse for peace. Right standing with God. And there's plenty of times, even in myself, there's a reason I'll get, I'll, at the end of this, I'll explain what I'm, I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Even, even in myself, especially in myself, there are these things I'm like, oh, I know that wasn't right. But then I keep having to say it. You see what I'm saying? I keep having to say, oh, I shouldn't do that. Oh, I shouldn't do that. Why is it still there? And it's not like, oh, you should take care of it. No, it's, it comes from a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge. They were destroyed by what? Not the enemy, not God, not this, not that, not their, their neighboring countries who wanted to put their heads on a spear. Their lack of knowledge destroyed them. So what saves us? Knowledge. Our knowledge in the Lord. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our, is our Savior. How do we know who Jesus is? Have you met him? Every one of you have come to the Lord Jesus Christ because somebody preached to him out of this book. You ever wonder why you can't add, twist, or subtract from this word of God? That's why. There's not been many people who have seen to this day Jesus Christ in the flesh. I believe it has happened. I have seen people who are saved in preaching who have no business, according to our flesh, being saved or preaching Jesus Christ. I'm talking about high priests in Islam. I think it still happens. I believe it. I, I don't. I, the Bible never says he wouldn't. He's as much God as the Father and the Holy Spirit. Is he not? He's our Savior. He's Jesus. It's all for him. 
So we come to this understanding here that Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death through how the Spirit's law of life. So the Spirit has his own law. We call him counselor. Dottie. We call him teacher. We call, we call him comforter. So what is he doing in this all? Of course in obedience to God because he is God. He doesn't contradict himself, but he has his own law of life that was earned for us by who? Jesus. We know this. So what the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh. Because what he's saying is the law, it's not that God did it to make us all go to hell. He sent the law, but because it's of God, there was no God in us to be able to uphold it. Because I can give you this promise. If you've been delivered from anything, if you've been forgiven of anything, and you don't walk in that anymore, yet there's another sin in your life that seems to say a lie, Satan has deceived you. Because you wouldn't even be free of anything if you did not know Jesus, if you had not prayed, if you had not repented, and if you did not have the Holy Spirit with you. There wouldn't be anything gone from you. It's the logic of, the, of God. It's the logic of the word of God. And it makes sense even, even to the flesh. For he was limited by the flesh. God did. For what the law couldn't do, God did. And we know how he did it. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours. Under sin's domain. And as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement would be accomplished. Why? Because the law is still from God. And us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, about the things of the Spirit. Start to check yourself during the day. Check yourself during the day. Say, where is my mind? What am I thinking on? Where, where am I in my heart? What am I, what am I focused on? Because it says that the people who live by the flesh think about the flesh. So what do you think about? Do you find yourself thinking about yourself a lot? Or do you do what the word says when it says account others benefit as more important than yourself? More specifically, Paul's actually talking to leaders. We already have the perfect, most precious example. His name was Jesus and he washed his disciples' feet. God himself incarnate chose to get on his knees in that dust and wash the dirty feet of his disciples because it was symbolic. It's not just I'm here to serve you, but he said I'm about, I'm washing your feet now but here in a day or so, I'm about to wash you in a different way. And I have to be the one to do it. And a lot of people have missed that revelation. They get the revelation of a, of a leader or servant. They get that. But it was the symbolic of this is why I came. I'm washing your feet now because I'm about to wash you with my blood. The sin that you've had fall off of you as you followed me for three years. It's because you followed me. And I even talked about this week to a few people that there came a point where Jesus told his disciples, go out. Exercise demons, get them gone. Heal in my name. Preach the gospel. Preach the good news. Preach me, right? And they did. They came out and said, all oh, this crazy stuff happened. He said, what? Do not rejoice that you've done these things. But he's not saying you're wrong for being excited about setting people free. He said, but remember why you're doing it. That your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So we go back and we say, well, how are they doing all this stuff and we're not? All they did was follow Jesus. Actually, in John, and um, let's see here. Sorry, I'm actually just going to go Luke 9. And he himself, or sorry, he was saying to them all, Jesus, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But for whoever loses his life for my sake, 
He's the one who will save it. I'm going to go back. This is one of the words that the Lord is poking out to me. Deny yourself. I just got done for 30 minutes teaching and preaching to you that this word says our nature flesh, we have no control over. So how do you deny yourself? Who's the one who pulls us to Christ? Who pulls at the heart of the lost? The Holy Spirit of the living God. You think he only comes and has jobs to do people who are already saved? We already know the word says so. He's the one who draws the hearts of man to God and to Jesus. He always points to Jesus. So when we're, we're, we're reading what Jesus is saying, if anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus later says, believe it or not, later he says, those who do not pick up their cross and follow me daily. He's, he's again quoting the same thing. Have no part with me. And he explains why. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. Cross meaning obedience. Um, and we know that in the word. We know that the cross to Christ was obedience because it says he was obedient until death. Even until death. So the cross to Jesus was his obedience to the Father. So he said if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But for whoever loses his life for my sake is the one who will save it. So now we know why God said and why Jesus said those who do not pick up their cross and follow me daily have no part with me. He just explained it. Because if you're trying to save yourself, you're going to lose your life. But if you choose to let your flesh die, you have now decided to follow Jesus. Jesus said it himself. You're not arguing with me if you get mad at that. You're arguing the one you claim to follow. You're also arguing your own mind when you've come into agreement with the enemy who says you don't have any control over this one sin, but you're delivered from others? If anybody knows me personally, knows I'm preaching myself right now. No, for a fact. That's how I know it's God. <laughs> so we now we have to ask, what does it mean to deny yourself? Has God mentioned something to you even in passing? Think about this for a second. And you make excuses. I have I'll be the first to say, because if I don't, I have no business being up here. We make excuses for it. We push it off. And then we've made more excuses for a while. We're denying full surrender to him. How can I be obedient by picking up my cross and follow him daily when I won't let certain things go? I'm keeping them alive for some reason. Do you understand that? I was even talking about this earlier. Revenge, anger, vengeance. Offense you have no right to, according to this word. If somebody offends you, you have no right to keep offense towards them for offending you. Did you know that? Because these things that stay in our lives, whether we're deceived or choosing, because it can be multiple things. This word still sets you free from both. Because that's the hope we have. We actually don't have to deal with it anymore. If you think this sin is the only comfort I have left in this world... You already have deceived yourself. I've been there. Why isn't your comfort the comfort? Why isn't your comfort the comforter? That's the first name Jesus calls him. Other than Holy Spirit. First name he calls him is comforter. Why? He's trying to tell you, I know I'm comforting you. I am God Himself incarnate. I am the Son of God, the Messiah. I know I bring comfort to you guys, but it is better that I go because the way I walked on this earth, you can have once I go. 
And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So we, we talked about it last week when it says, so how do we put to death the deeds of the body? How do we deny ourselves? Through the Spirit. If you're not communing with the Holy Spirit, if you're not talking to Him, if you're not praying and asking Him direct questions, as well as the Father, as well as to Jesus, you are probably missing out on 90, 99.999% of your strength. This word says that's the only way to put to death the deeds of the body is through the Spirit. I can promise you this. Try to fast without talking to the Holy Spirit and see how long you last. You won't last the day. And even if you do, the first thing you're going to do is wake up in a horrible, horrible, sinful mood. And until you eat, you won't be gone. But when you do it in the Holy Spirit, when you start to feel angry, hangry, hungry, weak, and tired, and you go to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, lift me up while I'm letting my flesh die. I'm obeying you, God. Fill me up, touch me. And all of a sudden, this peace comes over you. Your stomach starts hurting. Your blurry vision becomes clear. And you physically feel better. The first time I fasted, I was amazed. I said, Lord, I was crying. I said, Lord, you are so faithful. And I heard Jesus talk. Man will not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And when he said that to me, he said, Chase, I promised you I'm with you. Jesus said he's with us. The Father says, I'll never leave nor forsake you. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm here. I'm here all the time. How do you think you even feel bad for sin? People are like, oh, I've heard it say. Well, they're like, oh, the Holy Spirit's like a dove on your shoulder. If you move too fast, he, he is God Almighty. Do you think you can, you can ignore him? You sure can. And when you get to a point, he'll leave you alone. But you can't scare God. Jesus walked through hell and grabbed the keys and victory. You think he was in there shaking at the demons or were they shaking at him? Who fills you up? Who is in you? Who guides you? Who speaks to you? Jesus said, I've been given all authority and all authority I give unto you. How? Shaking in your fruit. Did you say get it, get out? No. He said, I will bruise his head with your heels. Bruise his head, not shoe. Bible says resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Flee is to run in terror, mind you. Why does he run in terror when you resist? Because he knows if he, if he stays any longer, he's going to be kicked really hard by the Spirit of God and the authority of Jesus he gave to us. And what the Lord wants to tell you, it's not that hard to deny your flesh. It's only hard when you've never done it. There are some things we give up to God that we struggle with. But there are some things that seem to cling. And for every single person, it's different. We're all made a little different, but the nature's the same. So I'm here to tell you, it is not you. Stop letting Satan lie to you and tell you that's just who you are, that you're still doing this sin. I know I sound vague when I say doing this sin, but it's different for everybody. It's a lie from Satan. You don't have to put up with it. And the reason you keep going back to it is because you're missing the revelation that the sins that he delivered you from when you first got saved are equal to this. They can live just as easy. But you've got to understand you're not in yourself. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. And because you're not alone, even when you go through the pains, you know there's victory. You know there's strength. The Lord pointed this out to me yesterday. Who here 
Raise your hands if you want to. Who here has suffered bad for obedience? Raise your hands. The enemy told you you suffered that hard because you still love your sin. You suffered that hard because you, you just really want to and you really, you're not saved. You're trying too hard. Why is it still here? You don't really care. Who here has suffered to the point of breaking, coming to an end of yourself and just breaking and weeping? And it hurts physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It just hurts. Let me give you some good news. First Peter 4, chapter 4, 1 through 2. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin as so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men but for the will of God. If you have suffered, the Lord says, I see you have ceased from sin. That's how I view you. Did you know that's pleasing to God? That's faith. So the Lord really wanted me to talk about this because we only have one more teaching after this. But I'm going to go back to or go to Romans 12 because this is what the Lord told me to read. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, how? Mercies of God. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Who here has been angry at the hypocrisy? Of like churches and they're like have these huge, I'm not saying anything's wrong with it, but it's when we know there's something else going on, these huge uh, basically stage shows are supposed to be worship, but it's just stage shows with Christian music and, and all this other stuff. But we know like half the people who are there and they're like, oh, praise God, are just going right after that and still living and sitting, smoking doobie on the way home. They're 12 back and doing what they want. And we get mad at that and we get too, sometimes too, too much consumed with that, even though it grieves our spirit. He said... I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. How do we do? How do we worship Him? The Bible does talk about singing to God and playing instruments for the Lord, and especially together. It does say that, and we should do it. But this actually goes back in reference to First Samuel and Amos chapter two. How do we worship God truly? First and foremost, obedience, presenting yourself. As a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing. Is there that one thing that you just can't seem to get rid of. Whether you want to or not. Does it take holiness away from you? Does it separate you from God? All things done. Not in faith. Is sin. And I think I actually, actually get that. Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We go back to Romans chapter 7, and he said, I do not do what I want to do. Why does he want to do it? Because his heart, his spirit belongs to God, but his flesh is still in control. We've talked about how to get your flesh into control by letting it die, denying of yourself through and by the Holy Spirit, not in yourself. Your flesh can't overcome flesh. 
Your worldly logic and your worldly wisdom and mind cannot overcome flesh. God calls it foolishness for a reason. But through the Holy Spirit, the Word tells us in multiple places, it's not just Romans, it's how we overcome. That's why fasting is so important. Because when you fast, and I don't mean fasting Facebook and stuff like that. What you're really doing when you fast Facebook, say, I'm fasting Facebook for two weeks. You're saying, I have an idol in my life, and I'm just going to try to get away from it for a second. That's not fasting. You should just be repentant for that. God ain't mad at you for being on Facebook, but if you're on Facebook more than you're on your word of God or praying, something might be wrong. It's called an idol. Have no other gods before me. So if something else is getting more of your time than God, you might have an idol. That's just common sense. It's biblical, it's lot biblical logic. But that's why fasting is important because you are literally your spirit. You, nobody can fast on purpose without God. You can't do it. I mean, it, it, the Islam have Ramadan. And what they'll do is they'll fast. And, but my goodness, they're miserable. And you know how many they actually get hurt from? They do it all the time. And then when they come back to eat, their stomach, they, they, they have to start off with this like pea soups and things like that because their stomach cannot handle it. But a lot of people who go fast in the Lord, right when the Lord tells them to break, to break their fast, what do they do? They pig out. Now, some people, I, I did it. When I fasted, I couldn't just start picking out, right? And I started eating again. I had to start off slow myself. But I was in, I was in my right mind. I was in this sweet, shaky little thing. Because the word says, wash your face and don't let people know you're fasting. Because it's between you and God. It's for you and God for the control of your flesh, is it not? If you've never fasted before, and you've been saved for any amount of time, I can promise you, you're missing out on a lot. Jesus himself told us to fast and pray all the time. If you're having to wait to God to come to your room in his presence to tell you to fast, you've just been ignoring Jesus. This goes back to what I was preaching before. What I was talking about earlier in here. You cannot keep sins that keep you comfortable just because they're not big sins. You are still withholding full surrender to God, yet claiming him to be your Lord. What is a Lord? As a master. Paul says it all the time. For I am a slave to Christ. By choice. By choice he's a slave to Christ. So if there's still something left. It kind of goes back to ask yourself. If you want to know if there's something in your life that needs to go. Ask yourself this. Have I fasted before? It's not about fasting. It's about the heart. Are you willing to fast? Are you willing to go past. And get past what your flesh craves. Are you? Can you fast for that? Again, anybody who knows me knows I'm preaching to myself right now. You probably know what I'm having to do tomorrow. By choice. So with that being said, ask yourself the question. And you take this to God. Don't say anything out loud. It's between you and God only. The Holy Spirit will start talking to you right now. Ask the Lord, Lord, if, if you haven't fast, ask the Lord, Lord, why haven't I fasted? Will you reveal it to me? I can already tell you according to this word. But he wants to tell you too. He's not wanting to beat you over the head with it. He said, I want you to be completely free. Fasting frees you from, from strongholds in Jesus' name. It really does. There's instant deliverance. There's prayerful deliverance. And then there's fasting deliverance. Fasting is a choice to say, I will obey God. I can't stop sinning like this. So I will fast and I will destroy the flesh without sin. Sin destroys the flesh by itself where the wages of sin is death. Fasting destroys the flesh while glorifying God. While instead of separating you from God like sin does, 
bringing you closer, for you are denying the flesh, which Jesus said you have to do to follow him. You cannot follow. I'm not saying you have to fast to go to heaven. I am saying Jesus said to fast and pray all the time because he's the one who was tempted by every sin and yet didn't sin. I think he has a few of the answers. Don't you think? I think he knows what he's talking about. So what we have to do is ask ourselves this. And here's the good thing. Fasting is a blessing. It is a gift from God. Just like grace is. Just like Jesus was the greatest act of love ever shown on the world or universe or all of existence. He's the greatest act of love ever shown. But so is his correction, for he corrects those he loves. Is it not? Is being corrected, Satan wants you to feel condemned for it. Why does he have to keep correcting me? If I said I'll correct those I love, if you keep getting corrected, but it's different things, congratulations, it's called pruning. That means you're following the Lord. That's a good thing. And he wants to strengthen you and encourage you. We do live in our flesh. Paul talks about it. We live in our flesh. And what it, wants, what it does is when it feels weak, sometimes the enemy lies to us and says your spirit is weak. Your spirit is heavy. But he says those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So sometimes when our flesh is dying, Satan wants to lie to you and tell you it's your spirit so that you continue doing what you were doing before, what made you feel not weak. But the only reason you would even come at it or confront it in the first place is because you knew it was separating you from God because the Holy Spirit was telling you. So ask yourself this. If you have never fasted, why? Are you afraid to? I've been. And I've fasted before. But I have been because I know some of the things that the Lord is asking of me is going to hurt. And last night the Lord was, he was showing me this. In 1 Peter 4, therefore, since Christ is suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. He's saying, be prepared for this. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Right here when it says, because he is not capitalized. He's talking about anybody here. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh. No longer for the lust of men. He said, we got to live in our flesh. But he said, but when we have ceased to sin by the suffering, which was promised, just like salvation and everything else by Jesus, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men. You want to know how to get your flesh into control? Your flesh has to suffer. I am not talking about whipping yourself. You are not Jesus. It was not by your, your, your stripes we are healed. You don't need to take your own stripes. He did it for you. You don't earn salvation. That's not what it's about. He's teaching you practically how to get your flesh in order, what it is and where it comes from. It's naturally in you, but don't be afraid. You know who is in you that is supernatural? The Holy Spirit. And he is how we put to death the deeds of the body. And how do we know we're doing it? Because he tells you in multiple places. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Good. Then we go to 1 Peter 4. Christ has suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. If you have not suffered in your flesh for the sake of Christ, you have not ceased to sin. The word says so. It is not earning your salvation. He's given you fruit you are looking for in your own life. He's not telling you, these, oh, you've got to earn your salvation. You've got to earn this and earn that. You have to suffer and whip yourself. He's not saying that. He's saying, this is your fruit. He's saying, if you have suffered for the sake of Christ, your fruit is you've ceased to sin. You've ceased of letting your flesh run everything. They don't mean it's ain't going to try. The Word just told us it's still alive. So when we start to notice, I know somebody here is actually part of my team. They noticed they were in a bad mood. So you know what they did? They, they fasted. Congrats. Guess what? You did what this word said. I can promise you, you came out victorious. I can promise. 
That's called obedience. I don't want to attack anybody who hasn't fasted. It's terrifying. It does hurt. But I can promise you this. For one, the word. Two, I can promise you by personal experience. When you feel the weakness and the suffering come, that's when you go to your good father who knows you, who is there for you, and he starts to speak to you, and you are lifted up. He physically takes away hunger. But then, with our flesh so weak, I have never heard God like I did while I was fasting. I even told myself, I'm too tired, I'm too weak, and I'm too sleepy to read anything. I said, that's why I'm going to do it. And I popped it open, and I start reading. Halfway through reading, I'm, I'm, my mind's being blown. This is about a year and a half ago. My mind is being blown, and then the Lord said to me, Chase, you can break your fast. It was 1 o'clock in the morning. He said, Chase, you can break your fast. He goes, I want you to understand and learn that through this, what, what was it? Chase, when you're feeling the pressures in the flesh and sin try to come up and you're letting it die, what did you do? You came to me. He said, why do you have to not be eating to do that? I was like, <gasps> and I got it. He said, lay all of your troubles down. He says, come to me for everything. What is he talking about? That. But I didn't learn it until I fasted, until I got my flesh out of the way. The bad news is, and until we're in heaven, we have to live in it. But it doesn't have to have any control. It's going to try because it is alive until we die. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he. In him we are more than conquerors. Your flesh is lying to you and so is Satan. You don't have to live like that anymore. Christ has set you free. Are you feeling torment? He's your peace. Are you feeling just exhaustion? He is your breath of life. Are you feeling condemnation? Go back to Romans 8. Therefore now there is no condemnation to those in Christ. He is a liar. And you don't have to put up with it. Not anymore. Those in Christ and who are seeking Him, I can promise you this. Listen, this is the last thing I'm going to say. I feel the Holy Spirit tell me this is the last thing I should say. If you are feeling like Paul did in chapter 7 of Romans, and he said, I do not do the things I want, but I'm doing the things that I don't want to do. Let me tell you this. The Lord is working on you, and He is in you, or you wouldn't care. So let me first tell you that. Satan's lying to you by telling you that you, have, you are no hope, that you're still sinning. He's lying to you. He's now also told you that you are separate because you are dead, your spirit, dead in sins. But through Christ you have been resurrected and your flesh has died. But it's still two separate things. We are immortal beings living in a mortal body. The mortal body was sold to the slavery of sin. But we have been redeemed. The word redeemed, like we talked about the first Sunday, two Sundays ago. Redeemed means bought from slavery. It means to have been bought from a contract. You have been redeemed in Christ. There isn't anything holding on to you that you're not also grabbing hands with. Even if you don't know that. This isn't God trying to beat you over the head. He's trying to give you revelation on the things you're still dealing with. He's trying to say, hey, will you let go of that? I'm trying to destroy it. I don't want to hurt you in the process. Fasting is where we choose to go through the suffering. I've been through physical, emotional Suffering, spiritual suffering, because some things in me had to die. None of it was godly. <laughs> the dying of the things that weren't of God was very godly. He says so. He said that I've ceased in my sin. I, I've actually started to overcome my flesh. I have overcome in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, what I was destined to die in, thanks to the sins of my forefathers and mothers. 
So the Lord wants to let you understand that. Thank you. Romans 8, 12 through 13. So then, brethren, we are under we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. How do you die in your flesh? The only way to die in your flesh is through the Holy Spirit. If you can't get past that, do what Jesus did and said to do. Fast and pray. If you find yourself doing more of anything than praying or fasting, repent for your idol and say, Lord, this is probably why I'm dealing with what I am. I am not talking about being a parent. God completely, 150,000%, He's the one who designed us to be parents and have kids. He understands that takes up most of our time. But are we finding time to be, oh, I just need to relax. I'm too tired to read the Bible right now. I just need to relax. I can promise you, after you get stressed out with your kids, open up the Bible, you will have peace come over you just about instantly. Because you're spending time with God. You're letting Him come in and you're not making excuses for yourself. You see what I'm saying? Get rid of the excuses. Submit to the Holy Spirit and your flesh will die. He's promised it. You're not bound anymore. No matter what Satan has said to you, this word says opposite. If you related more to Romans 7 than you do to Romans 8, you've believed the lie. Because in Romans 8, it tells you who you are. He said, those who walk according to the flesh, think the things of the flesh. He said, but you who walk according to the Spirit. He said, the way to test it is if you're walking to the Spirit. He said, no. He said, but you in Christ. Because you can be in Christ and believe a lie. But thank God he loves us enough to correct us because he loves us. Not all correction is bad person, bad person, bad son, bad daughter. It is, hey, you're believing this lie and you're not living in the joy and freedom I have promised you. You're supposed to be free. And I love you too much to let you stay like this. I love you too much for you to be beat up and tormented by the enemy constantly. I can promise you guys, if you have not yet done it, if you are still feeling and seeing that your flesh is still alive, too much in your life, too much in your conversations, too much in your anger, too much in your pride or opinions, too much in anything, I can promise you, get with the Holy Spirit. Talk to Him. If you didn't listen to the Easter message, go back and listen to it. It's not about me. It's literally all about the Holy Spirit. And I did it on Easter because that's who Jesus was talking about. We can't do anything God promised and Jesus promised us in ourselves only through the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus did it. And he told us that. And see, he said, it's better that I go because y'all going to do greater things than I. I am paraphrasing, of course. He's going to do greater things than I but for the one who's coming. Because what he's tried to do, what a lot of people don't understand, is he sent his Holy Spirit and he died on a cross and was resurrected to make multiple Jesuses on this earth. That sounds like, oh, I'm not a Jesus. You're supposed to be. Either he died for your sins and the sins died with him or they didn't. Either you are free from the slavery of sin or you're not. And it also is a question, if you don't believe that, you're calling Jesus himself a liar. In every translation, it says the same thing. In the original uh, text, it says the same thing. Every single version of the Bible I've read, it says the same thing. So guys, I want to encourage you. You don't have to live in it anymore. You don't have to deal with it anymore. It, the process can stink. But it's just your flesh dying. And every time you do it from then on out, it don't stink so bad. Because you know the fruit of it. And it starts to hurt less and less and less. So we're going to go ahead and pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your instructions. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the answers to everything that we deal with. I thank you, Lord, that you 
even seeing us, knowing that the flesh that we're in, and you still give us answers and show us how to walk in the life and the life more abundantly that Jesus came to give. Lord, we thank you for the strength and encouragement of our hearts and in our spirits and even in our bodies, Lord, to overcome the sin of the flesh because we have been set free. So we thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.